Warren Morris. It's a deep drive down the right field line. That ball is gone! LSU wins the College World Series on a home run by Morris. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the 60 Feet, 6 Inches LSU podcast. Thank you all for joining me. In this episode, I will review the Tuesday night game versus UNO as they traveled to Alec Box Stadium to take on the number one ranked LSU Tigers. I will preview the upcoming SEC weekend series as LSU hits the road to go to College Station to face the Texas A&M Aggies. I will give you my three keys to the weekend, my picks for the get right, stay right list, the SEC series prediction, and finally, the SEC rundown. As always, Y'all can find the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other major audio platforms. If you're viewing this on the 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU YouTube channel, please make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss out on any of the content throughout the year. And then finally, make sure to hit me up and follow me on Twitter. The account is at 60FT6INLSUPod. Once again, that's at 60FT6INLSUPod. Hit that notifications bell and interact with me on Twitter as well. So if you missed the last episode, I reviewed the weekend series as the Tigers swept the Sanford Bulldogs. I went over the three big things that I learned from the weekend. I also did a review of my get right, stay right results and predictions. And finally, I was joined by Zach Lee from Tigers Avenue podcast and YouTube channel as he gave me his take on the three-game sweep of Sanford. As always, that podcast is linked on Twitter where it's available in YouTube version as well. All right, let's get into it. First up, let's review LSU's 16 to nothing victory over UNO, the Privateers, and Coach Blake Dean, former LSU Tiger, as they came to Baton Rouge. LSU moves to 16 and one on the year, so the Tigers took a little while to get going as they faced another effective left-handed pitcher with a very good changeup. His last name was Mercer, but eventually, once the bullpen got involved for UNO, LSU broke through with three runs in the fifth, seven in the sixth, and then finally sixth in the eighth to finish off UNO. From a pitching standpoint, we saw Chase Shores start this game, and this has been a hotly debated topic on talk shows, on Twitter, on my timeline. Everybody wanted to see or had their opinion on who should throw midweek games, and now that Hurd, it seems like, has moved into the weekend rotation to go along with Skeens and Floyd. Where is Shores going to fit in since you saw Christian Little start the midweek game last week? But from what I saw with Shores, I thought he did a pretty good job, but In my opinion, this is where Chase Shores belongs for now. He has a ton of talent, super bright future at LSU, probably a potential first-round pick down the road whenever his career at LSU is all said and done. But with SEC play starting, to me, he just doesn't show enough consistency, specifically with his fastball. And if you don't have enough consistency with your fastball, then a lot of times you're not going to have enough consistency with your secondary pitches, such as a slider and a changeup. And so I think he needs to be in the midweek rotation. He needs to start midweek games. Hopefully they can get him up to four or five innings down the road. And from there, he's able to build confidence, uh, gain a ton of exposure, pitch in a less pressured atmosphere, even though you are facing very good teams during the midweek, as I've said numerous times on this podcast. And then maybe he rotates into some spot duty on the weekend. Maybe he comes in to close a game to get out of a jam. Maybe LSU has an eight to two lead in the eighth, and he pitches the eighth and the ninth against an SEC team. That way he's able to get his feet wet in conference play and build confidence from there. On the night, Shores went two and a third innings pitch with two hits, one walk, and two Ks. And to me, just really had a lot of trouble locating his fastball. 
on a consistent basis. And you really didn't see a ton of his slider due to the fact that he just wasn't in a lot of plus counts, meaning 0-2, 1-2, to where he could throw that wipeout slider of his. But to me, the story of the game on the mound was Garrett Edwards. As he relieved Shores in a little bit of a jam, Edwards came into the game with men on second and third and one out. And Edwards right away, boom, gets a strikeout. Then he gets a pop-up to Cruz to end the threat. And from there, he absolutely dealt. And you saw the Garrett Edwards that we have seen really since he started um, pitching this year in 2023. Once again, he was dominant with his fastball, which is going to be mid-90s, that wipeout slider that he has. And then last night, he actually showcased a changeup, which is very nice, very filthy. So I was impressed by that pitch as well. For Edwards on the night, he goes three and two-thirds innings pitched, zero hits, five Ks, really settled down the game and let LSU's bats get going. So he continues to put out fires from the bullpen, and I think he's once again going to be massive heading into SEC play as he looks primed and ready to go. And I think he can pitch multiple times on the weekend, such as a Friday, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, depending on his pitch count. After Edwards and Shores, you saw Cooper, Money, and Little all come in, getting inning under their belt with no issues from the Tiger pitching staff. In terms of LSU's hitters, it did take a little while to get going. Um, Marshall did a good job mixing speeds. He had a very good changeup. I thought his breaking ball was below average, but he could flip that sucker in there anytime for strikes. As you saw him start off a lot of LSU hitters with that. His fastball was upper 80s, which he was able to mix inside and outside. So he did a good job early in the game changing speeds, keeping LSU's hitters um, off balance. But finally, LSU got to him. They drove up his pitch count as he only lasted four and two-thirds innings pitched. In the fifth, you saw Cruz extend the inning, which we've talked about numerous times on this podcast, as he hits a 3-2 single. And then Tommy Tanks, that guy is absolutely white hot, as Tanks hits his first pull side home run of the year, so meaning he pulled it to left field. So he had a Tanks blast right there. That was his sixth home run of the year, which ties him for the team lead. And then in the sixth, you saw LSU break it open again, but with the bunt game. I know a lot of people in this town don't like the bunt game, but LSU used it very effectively on Tuesday night. You saw Malazzo lay down a sacrifice bunt, but as UNO's pitchers turned to throw the ball to third base because there were men on first and second, he tried to get the force out of third base. He threw that ball away. That scored two runs. Following up Malazzo, Kling lays down a bunt. That led to another throwing error, which led to a run. Then you see Cruz and Tanks kind of finish off the inning, right? Cruz hits a double, Tanks hits a single, and then finally Gavin Dugas gets in the home run game as he hits a blast as well and caps off that inning with a two-run home run. And then finally in the eighth, things kind of get out of hand, but you see Josh Pearson come in the game, and he hits a bases-loaded double to power LSU to victory, and that was it, all said and done. So LSU takes care of UNO, a team that could really show that they could hit the ball really well throughout this season. They field the ball pretty well. For Blake Dean's squad, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, LSU did what they were supposed to do. Number one team in the country may have taken a little while to get going, but once they got going, man, that train started rolling downhill, and it was uh, tough for the UNO bullpen to get the LSU hitters out, much like you would expect. All right, SEC play starts this weekend. Real baseball from here on out. Tough competition as LSU travels to College Station which looks like it's going to be a wet and cold weekend over there in Aggieland. So let's get into the Aggies. We'll look at some stats and then some key hitters and pitchers, and then finally get into my keys and prediction for the weekend. So on the year, Texas A&M is 13-4. and 
They did have a 5-1 to one win on Tuesday night versus Houston. I watched some highlights of that game. That game was extremely close. It was 2-1 to one in favor of Texas A&M heading into the ninth. Then they broke it open with an inside-the-park home run, and then they stacked some hits together, and then they were able to finish off Houston for a 5-1 to one victory. That is the eighth win in a row for the Aggies. A&M got off to a little bit of a slow start this year. They uh, opened up with Seattle. They swept them. Then they dropped a midweek game to Lamar, who LSU faced last week. Then they lost two out of three games, really out of nowhere, to Portland. Then they got beat by a very good Louisville team in the Shriners Classic. But since there, they seem like they put some things together, kind of settled down a little bit, and they've been rolling from there on. In terms of their rankings, the Aggies, they really average about 15th in terms of the national polls, and their highest ranking right now is 11th. When you look at the team stats, Comparing LSU to Texas A&M, and then in terms of the rest of the SEC, hitting, they're a little down this year. They returned a ton of guys from last year's lineup, but they're hitting 283 as a team, which is only good for 13, so second to last in the SEC. And then you look at LSU. They're hitting 343 as of last night, and I believe that puts them definitely in the top four. I think they are third in the conference in terms of overall batting average. So 343 for the Tigers versus 283 for the Aggies. A&M is 13th in home runs. They do not hit a lot of home runs, but they actually lead the SEC in walks, which I'll get into later, but could be a very important statistic as we head into the weekend. So as a team, A&M actually has more walks than strikeouts, and they also run. Obviously, LSU doesn't steal any bases. They're last in the conference, but A&M will look to run when they get on the base pass as they are 23 of 28 for stolen bases on the year. Your gold-plated money stat of the week, I'm giving it to you early. So before UNO, LSU was second in the SEC in scoring runners from third base with less than two outs. If you're listening to the podcast, if you check us out on the YouTube channel, you know I've been tracking that stat all year to me. I saw those guys work on that in the fall and spring, and it's carried over now into the 2023 season. So LSU, it may have changed, but as of Tuesday, I did not calculate the um, the UNO statistics, and they were actually one behind uh, Mississippi State in this category. So as of Tuesday, LSU second in the SEC when they score in runners from third base with less than two outs. Another gold-plated money stat. They are scoring those runners at a 78% clip. And also, to go along with that, LSU is second in the SEC when you look at batting average with runners in scoring position. So LSU is doing a great job of producing when they have opportunities to score runs, and that's going to be very important as you head into SEC play, as the quality of arm ticks up, the quality of the bullpen arms that teams bring in ticks up as well. Pitching, LSU is second in the conference in Team ERA at 2.42. It's probably even lower now after the UNO game. The Aggies are sixth in the conference at a 3.50, very respectable Team ERA. LSU is first in batting averaged against, so the opponent's batting average versus LSU pitchers. LSU is first in that category with a 167 batting average against. A&M is 11th. LSU is first in terms of the least amount of hits giving up for their pitching staff, while the Aggies are 11th, and that could be another gold-plated money stat right there. So that is something to look out for as well. So give up a decent amount of hits. They uh, have a relatively high batting average, but a, a, a good ERA at 3.50. That is nothing to um, be ashamed of for A&M. When you look at fielding, yes, LSU is Number one in the SEC, right up there in terms of the top five, if not the first team in the country at their fielding percentage, it is a 990. 
and they've only committed five errors on the year so far in 2023. We knew that was a focus as Jay Johnson took on a more active role working with the infielders. Obviously, Thompson had a little bit of a knee injury last year, and he looks great. And then you solidified the infield with Napolt, Dugas, and Tanks rotating in at that um, second and third base position as Jones has helped Trey Morgan over at first base along with Beloso, and they did a good job over there as well. So who are some of the key pitchers? Who does LSU need to worry about in terms of the arms for Texas A&M? When you look at the three weekend guys, now I preview these guys on the Texas A&M preview podcast. So if y'all don't know, um, just to kind of reverse course a little bit, I did a SEC preview for every team out there. I started out with the SEC East. I did two teams in each podcast. Then I moved on to the West. So a lot of these names that are having success in terms of their pitchers and hitters, those are some of the guys I targeted during the preview episode as well. So if you didn't have a chance to catch that, available podcast and on the YouTube channel as well. But from a weekend perspective, LSU should face right-handed pitcher Nathan Detmer on Friday night. Detmer has a 2.37 ERA. He is 1-1 one one on the year with four games started. 19 innings pitched, 14 hits, 7 walks, 24K. So a very good strikeout to walk ratio. And he has a 197 batting average against. You will see a fastball in the mid to upper 90s as he has very good stuff. On Saturday, this is going to be a key game for me and a key guy as LSU should face left-handed pitcher Purdue transfer Troy Wansing. He was a Big Ten all-freshman selection last year out of Purdue. Four games started for Wansing. He is 2-1 with a 2.75 ERA. On the year, he has 19 and two-thirds innings pitched, 17 hits, six walks, and 33 Ks. So once again, you're almost looking at a six to one strike to walk ratio for Wansing. He is a 233 batting average to get. So it looks like AM is going to go right handed, left handed. Wansing's going to have a mid 90s fastball from the left side. So he's going to present more of a challenge in terms of his secondary stuff. I'm not 100% sure, but uh, they have an extremely um, well known, well respected pitching coach over at AM. He used to be at Oregon State and he was at Arizona with Jay Johnson. His name is Nate Yeski. So he is now in College Station and he does a really good job with, with, with whatever pitchers he has on his staff at the time. And the, I think the thing that Yeski does the best, and I saw this at Oregon State and I really started paying attention to him then, he is tough to get a handle on in terms of the way he calls pitches. He will mix and match pitches at any count and any time. He's really almost, um, if you think about the way Thatcher Hurd pitches, right? He's got four pitches for strikes. He can throw the slide or the curveball or change up at any time. Hurd's going to go inside and outside with the fastball. You've seen that from Floyd as well. But that's really how Yeski runs his staff. So you saw that at Oregon State and the success they had with winning back-to-back College World Series. And they're really the program of record out there on the West Coast for the last 15 years. And Yeski was kind of the architect of that from the pitching side of things. So I'm going to be interested to see how um, he attacks these LSU hitters with Detmer on Friday, uh, Lansing on um, Saturday, and then finally on Sunday, Chris Cortez, another right-handed pitcher, another guy who's going to run his fastball into the mid and upper 90s. Cortez, four games started with a 5.60 ERA, 17 and two-thirds innings pitch with 16 hits, 12 walks, and 17 Ks. So even though he's got very good stuff, he does seem like he has a little bit of control issues, and he does seem like he has the ability to get hit. He has a 232 batting average on the year. And I remember talking about Cortez 
in the preview episode. A ton of upside. He was a bullpen guy last year that they thought was going to move into the rotation. So obviously he has, and he's one of their weekend arms. But it seems like he still hasn't hit his stride. So hopefully LSU can leave him, um, drive his ERA up even higher on Sunday. In terms of the bullpen, unfortunately, it looks like they're going to have a lot of lefties to throw at LSU. It looks like guys like Evan Ashenbeck, 13 innings pitch, 17 Ks is going to factor in. Also, Will Johnston from the left side, six appearances on the year, eight innings pitch, 16 Ks. And then finally, Shane Sadal with six innings pitched, excuse me, six appearances, 10 innings pitched, and 14 Ks. So I'd imagine LSU is going to get a heavy dose of left-handed pitching in terms of the bullpen from Texas A&M and pitching coach Nate Yeske. Now, when you look at their hitters, A&M was actually second in the SEC in hitting last year when you look at their batting average. But as I mentioned early in the podcast, they've been a little bit of a disappointment, especially all the returners they have. As of right now, they're led by Arizona State transfer Hunter Haas, who plays shortstop for those guys. He has a 379 average with 16 walks, which is super impressive by that young man early in 2023. And doing some research and you look at their roster and then their stats, they're going to send a ton of left-handed hitters to the plate this weekend. So I would imagine Cooper and Ackenhausen are going to have their work cut out for them, and they should probably figure um, to pitch multiple times this weekend, I would imagine, since all of LSU starters, Skeens, Hurd, Floyd, are all right-handed. So I counted as many as five left-handed hitters in the lineup of one of those guys being a switch hitter. They're led by... Tab Tracy, who's also hitting 379. Then you have Jack Moss, who had a really good year, and he seems like he's a little bit down this year at 295. And then finally, from the left-hand side of things, you have Caden Kent at 308. In terms of their power guys, we mentioned they don't hit a ton of home runs. I believe they're second to last in the conference in terms terms of total home runs hit as a team. But power guys, they do have two guys with three home runs apiece. That is Ryan Targak, who's hitting 232 with three bombs. And then finally, Austin Boast who has three home runs as well, and he is hitting 328 on the year. So what are my three keys to the weekend for the Tigers as they travel to College Station? The first one to me, starting pitching. And this may seem like a no-brainer. I get it. You could mark down starting pitching every weekend. But in my opinion, when you have two guys that are new to the SEC in terms of schemes and herd, They are your bookend guys with Friday and Sunday taken up by those guys. I think it's important for all three of the starters, then you factor in Floyd to that mix, to set the tone early in each game. Last weekend versus Stanford, the three starters combined went 16 innings pitched with only three hits, which is absolutely unheard of. One run given up, six walks, and 25 strikeouts. To me, what I will be looking out for is, can they get through the first two to three innings relatively clean? Not to say they don't give up any hits, but can they not give up any runs? Can they put some zeros up on that scoreboard while the offense gets settled in and the hitters have a chance to see how that staff is going to work them? Remember, some of the things we talked about on the podcast before is there's a ton of adrenaline, as you would imagine. One, going on the road in the SEC, first SEC series of the year, but also in the first inning. There's just a lot of adrenaline running onto that field and jumping on that mound. So what am I going to be focusing on from these three guys? Remember in the first inning, do you have at least one pitch for a strike? Something they can go to. It doesn't have to be a fastball. It's just got to be something they have for a strike. How do they handle AM's top of the order? Remember, you're going to be facing 
the other team's best hitters. And then finally, is the umpire zone tight? Typically, the umpire zone starts out tight. It gets bigger. Then towards the end of the game, you actually see it retract some. So is LSU, from a pitching side of things, are they getting squeezed? And then finally, I mentioned that A&M walks more than they strike out as a team. So with all those things, do you have a pitch for a strike? Is the umpire zone tight? How do you handle their best setters in that adrenaline rush in the first couple of innings? Can LSU limit the walks for A&M? You cannot sit there and give them free passes and get that crowd into it and get those things going off on the right foot for A&M. Because in turn, that gives the rest of their lineup confidence, but it also gives that guy on the other side of the mound, that guy sitting in the dugout watching his hitters have success. That's going to give him confidence when he runs out there to take his turn and take the ball to face LSU's lineup. The second key to the weekend for me is veteran leadership. First SEC series, it's on the road versus a ranked team. So in my opinion, I think you have to look to your leaders and your older guys to lead this team. And specifically, I'm talking about Cruz, Morgan, Dugas, Thompson, Joe Bear. I realize Tommy White and the Polk are experienced players, but it's their first time playing in the SEC and on the road. So does LSU go through long stretches or periods of the game where they don't score, you know, three, four, five innings? Then the crowd gets into it. I believe the weather is going to be a factor. It's going to be cold and wet over there this weekend. And then obviously LSU has a target on the back as a consensus number one team in the country. They've heard about the transfer portal guys, the high school guys, preseason number one in every poll out there. So obviously LSU is going to get everybody's best shot. So how do they handle that? How do they adjust to that if they encounter some difficulty early on? I look to the leaders, the seniors, the veteran guys to step up, the guys that have been through those SEC wars and lead this team. And then my third key to the weekend is how do they handle left-handed pitcher Troy Wansing from A&M. I mentioned his stats. He's done a great job. He has a great pitching coach behind him. We talked about how he was a Big Ten all-freshman selection last year for Purdue. And it seems like LSU doesn't hit left-handed pitching as bad as a lot of people think they do. But it seems like they have they hit the guys who have upper 80s fastball, two or three pitches for strike, especially change-up. They have trouble figuring those guys out. And I think most college teams do, really, if you're going to be honest. But can they figure out how Wansing is going to attack them early on? I would imagine if he's mid to upper 90s or at least 93 to 95 with his fastball, if I'm pitching coach, I'm probably going to work away early in the count, and I'm going to bust a lot of those righties in with his fastball to make them get their hands going, and then you may see him finish them off away. Obviously, moving the ball up in the zone against some of LSU's big power hitters is going to be key for him as well. So can LSU drive his pitch count up as they have been? Can LSU figure out a way to get in that bullpen, you know, by the time the fifth inning rolls around? It's going to be key for me, something else I'm going to watch out. And you got to remember, too, depending on where this series is in terms of if LSU wins the Friday night game or if A&M wins their Friday night game, Wanting's in a spot to either help save the series or LSU's in a spot to help go two up with Sunday being the money game right there for the sweep. So that Saturday game, I know you could say that about every series, but I really think starting this year out on the road, and you have Arkansas and Tennessee when you come home, is going to be massive. On the flip side, A&M's got Tennessee and Ole Miss coming in after LSU. So you know those guys uh, have a very tough schedule as well. To wrap up on Wanting, LSU's hitting 365 on the year versus left-handed pitching. We know they struggle tonight versus UNO's guys, but I think they're two completely different pitchers when you look at Wanting 
he's going to present a different problem. And um, it's going to be an interesting battle, a very interesting battle. And looking at the forecast, it looks like the high is going to be in the low 50s. So uh, hopefully LSU can get to him early. Maybe he has some control problems into getting that bullpen. And you may even see a slew of lefties after Wanting after that, depending on his success. All right, here we go, baby. The get right, stay right list. Last week, I crushed it. I'm not going to lie. A lot of hits. I think I had four hits with one push. So who did I choose for the get right, stay right list heading into Texas A&M? And as you all know, I try to switch it up every weekend. And it was a tough selection this weekend because, really, they have so many guys both hitting and pitching that are red hot that are doing really well. But in terms of get right, I focused on two guys in particular, two hitters, Jordan Thompson and then Brady Neal. So Thompson on the year is hitting 280 with three doubles and one home run, nine walks and 12 Ks. So a pretty good year so far for LSU shortstop. But in the last six games, Thompson is only two for 17, which is a 118 average. He's been playing great defense, which he needs to continue to do. And it doesn't look like his lack of hitting in the last six games has affected his defense at all. But I think Thompson and Neal, when you look at them, they're typically in that 7, 8, 9. They're in the bottom third of the order. So it could be really important for both of those guys, depending. Obviously, you know, Cruz, Morgan White, even Jones, Joe Bear, Dugas. Those guys are going to get a ton of focus from the A&M pitchers. So if those guys are struggling a little bit, it's going to be up to the bottom of the order, specifically Thompson and Neal, to get right turn that lineup over and help produce on the weekend where other guys may be struggling, whether that's walks, hits, driving and runs, sacrifices, bunts, whatever it may be. I think Thompson and Neal could be massive in this three-game series. And then finally, let's talk about Brady Neal on the get-right list. He's hitting 257 on the year, one double and one home run for the freshman. An impressive 15 walks and 14 Ks for Neal, but in his last six games, he's hitting two for 11 which is good for a 182 average. So he's definitely slumped off a bit. The other thing I think Neil is, is going to face this weekend, I think A&M is really going to test him when they get on the bases. We mentioned they're 23 of 28 for stolen bases on the year. We mentioned that they walk more than they strike out. So I think it's going to be up to him to help control some of that running game. Obviously, the pitchers have to help him out as well. But I think if they get the leadoff guy on to start off the inning, I think they're going to try to run, hit and run, do something to put pressure on the freshman behind the dish. And that's something uh, that could be key, obviously. And, that, and that's up to LSU's pitchers, obviously, to keep the walk, the walks down, specifically leadoff walks. As we know on the podcast here, those come around the score more often than not, and those could be killers on the weekend. In terms of the stay right, I think you're going to notice a theme in my selections. I mentioned into my keys for the weekend for the um, starting pitchers as my first key, and they're all three on my stay right list. I got stay right Skeens, Floyd, and Hurd. I just think those three guys are going to be so massive, hugely important. I cannot overstate those guys' importance going on the road this weekend. I think LSU's lineup has shown over time they're going to be able to score runs. You just got to give them an inch, and they're going to split that sucker wide open. It may not be five or six runs every couple innings, but as long as they chip away, right? One here, one there, two there, one here, two there. That should be good enough to hold this Aggie lineup in check. Skeens, we know his stats on the air, 4-0 with a 0.75 ERA, a batting average against of 0.99. Floyd is 3-0 with another microscopic ERA of 1.08. He has an even better batting average against of uh, 0.94. And then finally, Hurd is 2-0 on the year with a 2.04 ERA 
All those guys need to stay right for LSU to have success this weekend. And then finally, Tommy White. He is on absolute fire as of right now. And this could be a massive weekend for him as well, going on the road um, after that just huge monster year he had last year at North Carolina State. But I'm looking at how is Yeski and his staff, how are they going to attack Tommy White since he hits behind Cruz? It's almost like pick your poison, right? And we've seen from Cruz this year, he is more than happy to take a walk and let White do a lot of the damage behind him. So on the year, Tanks is hitting 396 with seven doubles, tied for the team lead with six home runs. He leads LSU with 27 RBIs, and he's only struck out five times this year. I put that out on Twitter last night during the middle of the UNO game. Absolutely amazing. Him hitting consistently behind Cruz and his ability to drive in runs when the opportunity presents itself, then he has the ability to extend innings with two outs as well, has been massive for this lineup. A new conference, a new experience for Tommy Tanks, and you don't want to see him try to do too much, right? Just really keep on keeping on. Whatever he's been doing the last couple of weeks, I would tell him not to change a thing. He doesn't need to prove himself to the SEC or the rest of the conference. His numbers last year and then what he's done so far this year are going to speak for himself. And I just think he has needs to have the same mindset as he's had the last couple of weeks. And just think if he wasn't hitting well behind Cruz, the ability to those guys to pitch around Cruz is massive. You know, but now with, I love how Cruz has been bookended with Morgan and Tanks. And I can't wait to see those guys go up against um, Detmer, Wansing, and Cortez this weekend. So get right, Thompson and Neal, stay right. All three starting pitchers, so Skeens, Floyd, Hurd, and then finally, Tommy White. Stay white, my man. Excuse me, stay white. <laughs> Sorry about that. Stay right. I'm not going to edit that out. That was a little funny. So, All right, what's my prediction for the weekend? Man, I really wanted to predict a sweep. I did. It was tough. I went back and forth on that. But I think LSU is going to take two out of three on the road from the Aggies. It's just t- so tough to sweep on the road in the SEC. And obviously, AM's a very good team. It's not like LSU's rolling into Kentucky or even Mizzou at this point. AM's ranked for a reason. So I went with the Tigers to take two out of three from the Aggies. In my opinion, AM's hitters, they just don't, they really don't scare you. So if LSU's pitchers are able to keep the walks down, don't put a lot of guys on base by way of free pass. Um, don't allow the leadoff hitters to get on, you know, five out of nine innings things like that. Don't have a lot of two-out walks to where AM can extend innings. I think the pitchers should do a good job. I don't think AM's is going to be able to slug their way to the win in this series unless something unforeseen or something changes that that's out of the ordinary for what they've shown throughout the uh, early part of 2023. And I think it's always important for you to win game one. I know that's, that's obvious to baseball fans, but I think really this year with the target, with the pressure, um, all the accolades that are getting thrown LSU's way, it'd be a great way to set the weekend, set the tempo for the weekend on the road is to take game one from Texas A&M. I also think with Skeens on the mound, he hasn't faced a ton of adversity this year, really. So what does that look like with him facing the Aggies at home? I'm sure that crowd's going to be riled up. They're going to have the bubble machine going. They're going to have the ball chant going where they count out how many balls in a row you've thrown. So it'll be interesting to see, to see Skeens face a really good lineup with his amazing stuff, flashing 97 to 100. You've seen him throw that slider a lot more the last couple outings. And if he does face some adversity, how does he handle that? As he's been pretty much blowing through the competition in 2023. 
I think Saturday is going to be a little bit of a grind versus Wanting. And depending on how Friday night goes, either a win or a loss, Saturday is going to determine the fate of the series. I do believe LSU can get to Cortez, the Sunday starter, very early, as he has shown the ability to, to have a lot of walks, the ability to get hit. And I think LSU is going to be able to do some damage to him, especially if he's wild. And then if you look at it, if they're 2-0 going into that Sunday game, man, does the pressure mount for Cortez. And LSU's hitter should be swinging free and easy. And a sweep is looking pretty good at that point. So, SEC rundown. We've been doing this throughout the podcast in 2023. A little bit of a newer section. I always throw it into the back end. Let's look at some of these key SEC matchups for the weekend. And I have a couple series that are really intriguing for me. So, I talked about how I did my SEC preview earlier in the year. I also gave my predicted SEC finishes and the records as well. And for the first weekend, I'm just going to stick to that. I'm going to stick to my guns. I'm not going to go changing things up and be a prisoner of the moment. So in terms of series, here we go, baby. Real baseball from here on out every weekend. You have Florida against Alabama. I believe uh, Alabama's on the road in that one. I have the Gators taking two out of three from the Tide as Alabama absolutely struggled last weekend losing to Columbia. Georgia and South Carolina is one of my intriguing series of the weekend. Both these teams can hit. South Carolina does have a better pitching staff statistically, but I have USC taking two out of three, but I wouldn't be surprised to see if the dogs took two the way they're swinging the bat. Tennessee at Mizzou, ball sweep. Ole Miss at Vanderbilt is my another kind of second intriguing series. Ole Miss can absolutely hit it. Their pitching staff is eh. They have a mid-fours ERA. Vanderbilt, worst hitting team in the conference, one of the best pitching staffs. Not a surprise to SEC baseball fans. Initially, I was down on Ole Miss this year, but they've kind of proven me wrong so far. We'll see what happens to the Rebs as they get into conference play. Vanderbilt, I've been worried about their bats all year long, and that looks like it has proven to come true in 2023 so far. When I did my predictions and I was doing the records for each team, I did have Vanderbilt taking two out of three at home. I don't know if that's going to be right, but I'm just going to stick to my guns. I'll have Vanderbilt taking two out of three at home versus Ole Miss. Arkansas host Auburn. I have Arkansas taking two out of three at home. And then finally, Mississippi State at Kentucky. Kentucky to me, I know a lot of people say Alabama, but Kentucky to me, I believe they're 14-2. and two. They have been the surprise of the conference. I know not a ton of people pay attention to Kentucky baseball. I really don't. But um, they've done a really good job, have a good pitching staff, have some good stats. But I see Mississippi State, they can really swing it. Their pitching staff is starting to come along. Their numbers don't look great. But I think State goes up to Kentucky, takes two out of three on the road. But it wouldn't shock me if the Wildcats defend their home turf and take two out of three from the Bulldogs. So I have Florida winning, USC winning, Tennessee winning, Vanderbilt winning, Arkansas and Mississippi State winning their respective series. Obviously, along to go with our beloved LSU Tigers. All right, that's going to do it for this week's review of the LSU versus UNO midweek game and a preview of the first SEC series of the year as LSU goes on the road to take on the Texas A&M Aggies. Thank you all for tuning in. As always, reminder, subscribe to the YouTube channel and follow me on Twitter at 60FT6INLSUPod. This podcast will be available Apple, Google, Spotify, other major audio platforms. So next up, the weekend series review podcast if we go live i think the technical issues have been ironed out here at the demui household if we go live it'll be roughly about 5 or 5 30 after the sunday game i will put that out all over twitter to let people know they can tune in get in their questions comments and we'll have guests and analysis for that instant analysis 
and hopefully you see a LSU series win. It'd be great if they swept on the road to let the conference know that the preseason and current rankings are not wrong and that all the accolades that have been thrown that way have been well-deserved. So until next time, y'all stay safe, and as always, go Tigers.